Hello, I'm Dr. Felicia Mebbin, Executive Director of the Center for Public Health Initiatives at Nova State University, and this is Health Healing in Hampton Roads. And I am so excited to have one of our special guests and supporter of WNSB and all things Nova State University, Ms. Toya Sosa. Hi, Toya. I'm Hi. sorry, Ms. Sosa. Hi, Ms. Sosa. <laughs> you can call me Toya. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> So here we are starting a new year, which is very exciting. And I am thrilled to have you as a guest because I know we have some collaborations coming up yeah. uh, to set up the new year. But before we talk about those, I'd love to hear more about you and your background and training and what you do for Riverside Health Systems, et cetera. So first tell us, what's your connection to Hampton Roads? I'd like to start there. Sure. Oh, goodness. I have lived in Hampton Roads for 46 years. <gasps> okay. So this is where I work, play. Uh, this is where I raise my children. This is where I was raised. Uh, so I'm a product of the Portsmouth school system, nice. public school system. And I uh, just love the area. You get to experience all four seasons. Um, mm -hmm. You have the beach. Uh, it's just a great area to raise a family. That's amazing. So is there, I know if you're, let's say if you were from New York, you say you're a New Yorker. Is there something you say, like what's the term for somebody who's from Hampton Roads or, or even Portsmouth? Well, Missy Elliott, I believe, or Pharrell coined it the 757. So that's what I say. Whenever someone asks me where I'm from, I say the 757. You say you're from, the, but are you a seven, you're not a 757-er, right? You know what I mean? It's not. I'm not Port even sure Smith what you would say. <laughs> I don't, yeah. P-Town okay. is where people say they're from. Okay. Yeah. So there's no term for being from the area. There's a term, there are terms for the area, I Hamptonia, think, right? Hamptonia, uh, Hampton, yeah, I don't Maybe think not. there's a term okay. for Hampton that's, Roads. That's no. okay. We're from the 757. We'll just say that. Exactly. That's great. So what's your training and background? So I uh, started out actually in communications. I am a graduate of Norfolk State University's Mass behold. Communications Department. Mm -hmm. Yes, behold the green and gold. <laughs> and I had a great experience here on campus. In fact, I started working in news while I was a second semester freshman at Norfolk State. So I gained a lot of experience as I was learning here on campus. I worked for Wavy News 10. While I was there, I met a lot of graduates from Norfolk State that worked at the station and introduced me to others. So I was a freelance writer for the New Journal and Guide. So Brenda Andrews gave me my first opportunity in print news. And, and then I decided not to go into news. Okay, but that's, a, that's what college is for sometimes, yeah, right, to yeah, figure that you, out. You have to find yourself, right? So, But I made that decision because uh, I was out on a story, and there was a 10-year-old boy that died on the baseball field. We had to go out. We were the first ones on the scene to get the story. The family was not happy with all right, right. and I did not like that experience. So I decided to go into what I call the softer side of news, which was public affairs. So I still got to be involved in media relations and government relations. I worked for GEICO doing that as well as public affairs, community relations. I wore a lot of hats there. Diversity was just one of the things. So I did some diversity training and I chaired our, had oversight of our diversity committee and those other things that I just mentioned. 
And that kind of grew, and I realized that my real passion after working with about 60 nonprofits in diverse communities and doing the work that I was doing, that I really wanted to focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I got my opportunity at, at Riverside Health System as Chief Diversity Officer, and I'm, I'm loving it. That's amazing. So before we go into the details of that, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a big area. Mm-hmm. So could you just tell us what that means just in general? Yeah, so basically I have oversight of the implementation of our diversity, equity, and inclusion strategic plan. And that encompasses really four different things to sustain an infrastructure that supports a culture of commitment, consistency in the advancement of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So the whole infrastructure piece, build a diverse talent pipeline with advancement opportunity for all. So that's the recruiting of diverse talent, create and foster an inclusive culture that supports the diversity of our workforce. So the diversity training piece, making sure that our team members are culturally competent and then to reinforce a commitment to health equity and community outreach, which is really my favorite piece because I get to work with people in the community, collaborate quite a bit, like the collaboration that we have going on right now. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So I'm an academic, right, by training. So I always want to go to definitions. So what I think diversity is about the mix of people in the room, right? Right. And, so I like to compare so, it to um, like a, a basketball game, for instance. I should say football since we're in that season but (laughs) if you're you know playing on the team you're you're included so that's that's the diversity piece Mm -hmm. the inclusion piece is you're actually playing in the game with the other teammates so making sure that you're not only represented within the organization but you have a seat at the table that you're engaged in the work of the organization and then the equity piece is making sure that things are fair and equitable for all that everyone has regardless of background regardless of of race ethnicity lifestyle what have you that everyone has opportunity equal opportunity okay thank you thank you for that because again it's a hot it's a hot topic. It's something that people use a lot, but I don't mm-hmm. think that they accurately sometimes convey what it really means and the differences between them because they really they're interconnected, but they're different. Absolutely. And so what is your why here? Why did you go into communications to begin with? And then why DEI now? Yeah, I think that every pivot is what I call it. Every pivot that I've had in my career has really led me to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I wanted to go into communications, news and public affairs was my track because I had a worldly view and I was so into seeing the news and seeing what was going on in different communities around the world. So that was a passion of mine when I was young. And that kind of grew from me getting involved in people telling their stories. So, for instance, when I freelance, when I was a freelance writer for the New Journal and Guide, I had the opportunity to go out and interview with different people, learn about who they were, what they did in the community, how they collaborated, and. I think that is the backbone of my passion, just learning about people and different cultures and backgrounds and what have you. That's why I went into public affairs and why I did that for 22 years. Mm -hmm. 
And, and then the diversity, equity, and inclusion piece stemmed from that. So not only learning about people of different backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities and lifestyles, but also wanting to be an advocate for them to make sure that they had that seat at the table, that their voice was heard, that I had a, a small piece in making sure that they had advancement opportunity. So I think it's all kind of intertwined. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing because we need for our healthcare organizations and our systems to put emphasis in this area. So knowing that you're in that role and that Riverside Health Systems has that role is really great. Yes, thank you. And and it, it's important, it's critical in healthcare, mm -hmm. um, making sure that you know, people with different backgrounds and lang different languages, that we are really listening to what they need and we're listening to what they may or may not have access to. Access is an important piece. And if we're not listening, if we're not paying attention to things that they might not have access to, like food insecurity, for instance, um, which plays a big part in a person's overall health and quality of life. Mm -hmm. um, and so healthcare systems now, I think, are a lot more aware of what those, we call them social determinants of health are, mm -hmm. and how we can assist and work with others in the community to make sure that the person is taken care of holistically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And social determinants of health is one of the sort of foundations of public health, for example, mm -hmm. as well. So um, so that's going to be a great connection for Norfolk State, putting in a little plug as we build our public health initiatives at Norfolk State <laughs> um, to make connections with, you know, Riverside, with you mm -hmm. as well, um, to sort of help ensure that the, the research, teaching, and practice we're doing here is specifically serving what you just said, the purpose that you just said. Absolutely. So would you talk a little bit more about then some of your programs? You talked about the focus or the mission in terms of um, pipelines, recruitment, the infrastructure and all of that. Can you be a little more specific about some of the things that you're working on? Yeah, so when, you know, I talked about, you know, pipeline. So one of the things that we are working on right now is making sure that we're working with our HBCUs, Norfolk State and Hampton in particular, and making sure that we have a pipeline for students that are interested in going into healthcare fields that they think of Riverside and that we are providing opportunity for them. So we'll, we'll be talking more about that with Norfolk State mm -hmm. and um, we've already talked with Hampton who is fully on board. So that's something that we're developing. You know, I talked a lot about social determinants of health and I want to go back to that because we're really doing some, some good work internally but also externally with Norfolk State for instance mm -hmm. in that area and so you know just to give a little bit more clarity around what social determinants of health are these are things like uh, lack of transportation food insecurity lack of access to Wi-Fi or device and these are things that again play a major role in someone's access to quality health care right. so if you have a lack of transportation right. how are you getting to your doctor appointments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, are you using public transportation and is that causing you to either not be able to get to your appointments on time or at all? And so we came up with a program. It's nothing new. This is something that healthcare systems have, have done across the country and it's called food as medicine. And so we are using food or supply of healthy food options to, to really drive 
healthcare outcomes. And so with this program, for example, our food is medicine program launched at our community health clinic in Newport News, and the program helps patients control their blood pressure. And in partnership with the Virginia Peninsula Food Bank, we offer a monthly supply of healthy food based on the DASH diet, which is proven to to really be able to effectively um, help people manage their blood pressure. And uh, it includes fresh produce and lean meat. We also give them a monthly health and and diet consultation, exercise classes, at-home blood pressure cuffs so they can actually monitor their own blood pressure. We give them cooking supplies, Mm -hmm. uh, incentives to keep going. So it's a a kind of -of out-of-the-box way of helping people meet their meet them where they are, meet their needs, and help them manage their blood pressure. Wow, that is so cool. So again, my background is public health, so I think of things in terms of that. And what I'm hearing are a lot of public health approaches, right? So being there to, I mean, some of this is going to prevent some of the issues, which is right. a big theme. And it, again, it is amazing to have our healthcare systems um, thinking about these challenges for individuals and communities because it's community-based, right? It's something that's mm-hmm. happening outside of the healthcare facility, specific, strictly speaking. That's a great combination of services and ways that you can connect with the community and help them. Absolutely. It ta- you know, the African proverb goes, it takes a village. It, it really does take the entire community mm-hmm. coming together. Another uh, group that Riverside established was, we call it VOICES, but it stands for Virginia Organization for Inclusive Concepts and Equitable Solutions. Okay. And it's a group of healthcare systems. I mean, Centera is a part of it. Bon Secours, CHKD, of course, Riverside. Mm-hmm. It's also, you know, we have people at the table from the business community, like Truist Bank, Town Bank. We have people from the nonprofit community, United Way, um, Food Bank. I mean, we have a, a breadth of different uh, sectors in the community coming together, local state government, mm-hmm. to talk about how do we address these social determinants of health? Because, right. I mean, healthcare, of course, is important, but there are other things outside of what a healthcare system can do right. that people, you know, right. will need and that will impact health outcomes. Exactly. So some of the terms I hear are vital. Those are the vital conditions for well-being for mm-hmm. individuals and communities. And so you can't help with the health of an individual community by only focusing on health. And what I love about that combination as well is, you know, it's systematic. Well, you mentioned systems, but there's also a system of policies that Mm -hmm. affect these things. There's politics. So, you know, some of the social determinants of health, we add social, political, economic determinants. So it's also about your access to employment. Mm -hmm. It's also about the political system and how policies are defined. And what I hear from the voices organization that you're talking about is that, you know, that would be a place where you can start to talk about those things as well. Absolutely. And and I failed to mention Norfolk State is at the table as there well. So Dr. Eric Laville is part of that group. And I, you know, welcome you to join Dr. Mebbin sure. and anyone else from Norfolk State that wants to join. Hampton's representative as well, Hampton University. So, um, you know, whoever we can get that plays a major part in the community, we want to have at the t- a seat at the table and we want to talk about best practices and how we can all collaborate to address these issues. 
issues. Amazing. So how would they get in touch with you if, if someone listening wanted to connect in to that? Yeah, so my Riverside email address is T-O-I-Y-A, my first name, dot last name, S-O-S-A, at RIVHS, R-I-V is in Victor, H-S for healthsystem.com. Amazing. And you can also search for Toya Sosa, T-O-I-Y-A-S-O-S-A, and she will pop up because she's amazing and she does things. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so we're, again, so excited to have you as a partner. And here we are at the beginning of a new year again. And, and I am personally super excited because we have an event coming up that we're collaborating on together that's in this lane as well because it focuses on health equity. So let's talk about that. Yes. <laughs> excited to. Yeah, super excited. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen that would be me <laughs> yeah so the um the event that dr mebin is uh speaking of is on february 16th of 2023 so right after the new year and we'll we'll be joined together to talk about eating our way to healthy hearts closing the gap in black health disparities and this is presented by riverside health system truest and EVMS, and it's hosted by none other than the Center for Public Health Initiatives at Norfolk State University and the Norfolk State University Center of Excellence in Minority Health Disparities. What's really exciting is this is not just going to be a panel discussion of experts, you know, talking about all of the things that we can do to prevent and or manage hypertension mm -hmm. or blood pressure, but it's also going to feature Carla Hall, celebrity chef, who is going to not only serve on the panel, but she's also going to do a healthy food cooking demonstration, and we'll get to eat the food. That's the yes. exciting part. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, first of all, let me just say, I am a big fan of Carla Hall, so just being in the room, that is exciting <laughs> as well. <laughs> but there are multiple opportunities for people to engage. So would you want to talk about that? I could. Or do you want to talk about that? I, I'd love for you to talk about <laughs> sure, it and, you know, sure. let people know where they can register. I'll, okay. I'll help in that if needed. Okay, awesome. So we're going to provide a couple of layers of opportunities. I believe the registration is available now, so we'll it tell is. you how to do that. So when you register, you will have an opportunity to be in the room with Carla Hall as she conducts her cooking demonstration, which will be amazing. And then once she prepares the food for the panel, there will be a discussion. So I'm going to serve on the panel as well as representatives from Riverside, um, Dr. Comas from Norfolk State University, McBib Gameda from EVMS. And then we have, I'm sorry, we have, we'll have to remind Myers, me. Yeah, Frankie <laughs> Myers from Riverside Health System, Mark Johnson from Truist. And a student as well, right? A student, yes. yes. Well, he is an MBA student and he is a resident at at Riverside Health System and his name is Qtel Sellers. Yes, nice. So He's we wanted that ICU. young that youth voice. Right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Look, I, you know, I I consider myself young, but I don't know that everybody else would. <laughs> Everybody cannot be in the room, unfortunately, but we will have an overflow room where people can be in the building where everything's happening. And then we're hoping that Ms. Hall will step across the hall and she say will. hello. She will say <laughs> hello to everyone. Um, we will be streaming the event as well um, so that anybody can RSVP, please, um, and also sort of see what's happening live and, and participate mm -hmm. in their own way. One of the other good contributions from the event is going to be to have the recipe. So even yes. if you're not in the room to receive 
a sample of the meal because that's the other element. So Ms. Hall is going to prepare for the panel, and mm-hmm. then we're going to work with the food service organization to prepare a version of her recipe for people mm-hmm. who are in the building. And then for everyone, you will get a copy of the recipe that she has prepared just for this event, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'll be great. I mean, because I'm good in the kitchen, but it's nothing like a good recipe to follow. <laughs> oh, well, well, to start with, especially, right? But I, she's amazing because, you know, we had a meeting with her in preparation mm-hmm. for this. And, you know, for those listening, she's she is genuine. She is authentic. Mm-hmm. She's very supportive of HBCU. She did shout out Howard University, which yes. is where she graduated. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she really is thinking in her profession about how to translate some of our cultural favorites, for example, mm-hmm. soul food, into well, actually into the original versions, perhaps. She sort of mentioned we've lost a little bit of the history of some of yes. our foods because now they're prepared in different ways. And so mm-hmm. she's going to have a demonstration of a recipe that's both authentic to African-American culture as well as healthy. And that combination will be amazing, I think. Yes. And for those of you who would like to attend, whether in person or virtual, you can register now um, at RiversideOnline.com slash health equity. RiversideOnline.com slash health equity. Right. And so in addition to plugging what will be a, I think, super exciting event, I think it is a great example of the collaboration and partnerships of all these organizations. So we're going to have some academics on the panel and then we'll have healthcare providers. We'll have, as you said, folks who are in the community with Truist Bank in terms right. of, of that aspect of it. We have a world-renowned chef who's going to be very practical and we're going to combine all those things myself who's focused on health policy and equity we're going to combine all of that together to have a really great conversation around mm-hmm. this issue and yes, april and woodard as, as well yes april woodard from I'm coast sorry. live yes april WTKR. woodard <laughs> right? she will be our moderator for the event so she is just magnificent exactly. and she's also a professor at Norfolk State so good tie in there exactly um, her father was president of Norfolk State when I was here on campus oh, president so um, cool. Harrison B. Wilson mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so she has great ties to the university and she is a great host and moderator and and television host of Coast Live so we're happy to have her and I do want to go back and talk about because people may be wondering why truest when we're talking about health, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. But, you know, again, what we talked about initially were social determinants of health. So one of the things that we don't talk about a lot is how finance plays a role in this. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it comes to someone's socioeconomic status, if they don't have access to capital, if they don't have the financial literacy that they need, they may not be in a place where they can afford healthy food options, for instance, um, where they can, uh, uh, where they may not, you know, have access to quality health care and know how to navigate health care and have a primary care physician. So there, you know, there are tie-ins in so many different areas, but finance is important as well. And so we're happy to have Mark Johnson from Truist on the panel to talk about that aspect of social determinants of health. Yes. And then there's the obvious, right? If you're struggling with your finance, that's stressful as well, right? And that contributes to Mm -hmm. our well-being or lack of well-being in some cases as well Mm -hmm. so so it's going to be an exciting event and we hope that everyone at a minimum will tune in and we hope that many of you will join us yes on february 16th 2023
Yes. So I also happen to know that you're an author. We're going to switch gears now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Taking off my Riverside hat now. (laughs) Yes. And some of you may be familiar because, again, Ms. Sosa is a wonderful um, supporter of the programs here at Norfolk State. But in case for folks who don't know, tell us a little bit about that and what what your motivation about that, where that came from. Yes, thank you for the opportunity. So I am the proud mother of two multicultural children. They're both Afro-Latino. Okay. And when my daughter was born, so my son is three years older, but when she was born, I decided to write a book about diversity because I thought about all of the things that they could experience as they grew older. And my son was already experiencing some bias or, you know, challenging situations on the playground with other kids asking questions about his color and things like that. So I wrote this book with them in mind and the book really speaks to uh, not only diversity but the importance of friendship, the importance of accepting people for their differences, not despite their differences, but for celebrating their differences. Talk, you know, it really speaks to unity and collaboration. So it's, it, it, is a really good book in that sense. Um, so for parents who are really wanting to raise good people, who are really wanting to raise children that have an appreciation for people of all differences, but also it speaks to kids on their level. So it is a children's book, and it is a story that's told through these animal friends. So I really wanted the book to for, for children to learn about diversity but not realize they're learning right, about right, diversity right. to 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 learn it through an adventure story. That's amazing. That's so exciting. Oh, um, excuse me. I don't think you said the name. The name <laughs> of the book. Thank you. The name of the book is Strange Top Hill. Strange Top is one word. Strange Top Hill, and it can be found on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, and you can just search the title. That's great. So one of the focus areas I think of the show is for people or listeners to hear from role models. And one of the reasons we ask about people's why is because I think sometimes the people who are most successful and are certainly most sort of tuned into what they're doing or the happiest is when they connect their passions with their jobs. So hearing that you've written a book on, you didn't have to write a book, okay? So (laughs) hearing that you wrote a book for children, to me, um, is a demonstration of you putting your passion, you know, to, to work or to contribution for our communities in different ways. I love that. I love thank the connection you. between what you're doing and your project. Yes, thank you. And there, you know, some people may think, well, where's the, the you know, connection? And there, there really is a strong connection here because, you know, when you think about a workplace, these are people that are bringing in things that they've already learned throughout their life into the workplace you know, talk a lot about how these biases, these unconscious biases are formed at a very young age through various outlets, through parents through and family, through friends, through uh, media. I was going to say um, television movies, TV <laughs> yes, shows, etc. Absolutely. I mean, we learn uh, certain, you know, ways of viewing people in the world through various outlets. And unless those unconscious biases that are formed are checked, they carry on with us through adulthood and into the workplace. 
So if we can meet that at a young age, this is why I wrote the book, then we can start to change behaviors, change mindsets before you even become an adult and then it's kind of ingrained. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to point people to the doll test. It's called the doll test, D-O-L-L. You can go to YouTube and find it. This doll test was a study that was done in the 40s and then again in the 60s where they brought in children of different backgrounds, uh, black, Hispanic, or Latino. Latino, and they brought these children into a room. The parents were in a separate room. They had a black doll and a white doll in front of them, and they asked them a series of questions about, you know, which doll is prettiest, which doll is bad, which doll is angry, and a series of these questions, and the responses that they got back from both black children and Hispanic and white children were the same across Mm -hmm. the board Mm -hmm. and unfortunately the negative connotations were toward the black doll and the positive ones were toward the white doll the parents were of course shocked by this and I think a lot of us would be because these aren't questions that we would typically ask a child right we we normally don't ask them about you know how do they feel about their skin color how do they feel about how they're viewed by other people or how do they view other people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I think looking at this doll test on on YouTube will open a lot of eyes and hopefully it will get us talking with our children about diversity. Right, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not surprised, but that might be because I've been trained in public health, so I know Mm -hmm. some of those. But And just as an aside, because you said because of doll, I mean, part of that is about a lack of representation sometimes Mm -hmm. in even looking at dolls Mm -hmm. and I know that there are some companies out there that are working on that Mm -hmm. um, that have dolls that have more representation of skin tones and hair hair textures (laughs) and all of that just as one small way of helping children to feel more comfortable and to see Mm -hmm. themselves you know in popular culture so I know that's one small one small step and that whole representation piece is important in everything that we do healthcare included if we really and we we know this and we're working toward this and and you know continuing to recruit and uh, hire diverse talent in healthcare because it's important people want to uh, see that representation and it's important to cultural competence that we have that Right. So I know these are heavy topics to start out the year, but they are so important. And it's so exciting to have you as a colleague and partner, Ms. Sosa, you know, working for our communities in Hampton Roads to address some of these challenges and issues. So thank you so much for joining me here today. Is there anything you want to say to close out? Yes, I'll say one more time very boldly. Behold the green and gold. I love Norfolk State. I'm a proud graduate, um, and I love that my organization, Riverside Health System, is collaborating with you all, and will continue to do that. And I also want to thank you so much, Dr. Mebin, not only for just inviting me here to talk with you and for the collaborations that we're involved in, but to thank you for the work that you're doing in public health, which is so important. Thank you. You are welcome, and thank you so much. And again, thank you to everyone who's listening. I'm Dr. Felicia Mebin, and this is Health Healing and Hampton Roads.